Good morning, everybody, and welcome to a slightly different service here at Hillhead Baptist Church this morning as we begin our series on stewardship and think about our talents. Take my life, we say to, to God, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. And we, part of that is take my hands, take my mind, take my intellect, and that's where we're thinking about this morning. We begin by hearing some words from Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the strings and flute. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. When I was a normal church member, well, I was a relatively normal church member anyway, and lived in Warrington, we had a a chap in our congregation who was then in his 80s. He is no longer with us. He's... uh, enjoying God's company face to face. But at the end of that hymn, he would always go, hey, with an almighty (laughs) shout, because it is just so good to praise God together. And I was really struck in the week, I was looking at the work that the children have been doing in Sunday school um, over the last few weeks, and they've done a big thank you poster. It's really well worth having a look at if you haven't already seen it. It's just amazing the things that the children recognise we need to give thanks to God for. And one that really struck me when I was looking at it, I can't remember which letter it is in, but it's thank you God for toes. I wonder how many of us ever think to say thank you for our toes. Our prayers of praise this morning are going to pick up some of that idea. So let's pray together. Praise God. Praise God for fingers and toes. Praise God for eyes and ears and nose. Praise God for minds that can think. Praise God for hearts that can love. Praise God. Praise God for sun, moon and stars. Praise God for flowers, animals and birds. Praise God for oceans and seas teeming with life. Praise God for valley and mountain. Praise God. Praise God who lives with us in Jesus. Who lives in us as spirit. Who surrounds and sustains us. Who forgives and renews us. Praise God. Praise God who knows each one of us by name. Who gifts each one of us with unique abilities. Who blesses each one of us with our own personalities. Who loves each one of us with an everlasting love. Praise God. Praise God with our voices. Praise God with our hands and feet. 
praise God with our hearts and minds. Let all that we are praise God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We have two sets of scripture readings this morning. And the first uh, begins in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 11. And if you have uh, the pew Bibles, that would be in page 216 of the New Testament. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were enticed and led astray to idols that could not speak. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, let Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of services, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the discernment of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same Spirit, who allots to each one individually just as the Spirit chooses. You always know when you've got a theologian doing the reading because I use the NRSV, not one of the other. That's really good, and I realize it's the same Bible as I have upstairs. There are very few of my visual aids that I keep um, over the years because they tend to fall apart, and this one is pretty much falling apart But a number of years ago, I actually did an exercise to list the gifts of the Spirit that are recorded in the New Testament. There are an awful lot of them. I'm not going to read them, but it's just an indication of the diversity of the kind of gifts that God gives to people. Some of them might be surprising. Some of them are given to specific people for specific reasons. Nobody has all of them. But everybody has some gift. And we're going to do a little bit of an exercise this morning, which is very rough and ready, and I make it doing it in an extra rough and ready fashion, to look at some of the gifts that we have been given. And for that reason, you've all got a piece of uh, paper on your chair. Somebody commented to me this morning that I make you work. Well, yes, I do. I'm a bit of a slave driver. So there we go. What we're going to do is use these sheets to do a very rough and ready um, look at some of the gifts that we might have. Now, please forgive me if this sounds a little bit like telling you how to suck eggs, but I've done this with two congregations, one very educated, 
One very not educated. The very not educated did it fantastically. The very educated completely found it up. So just a warning to people like me who've got more letters than enough after your name, you know, it's not always going to be straightforward. You've got a grid on your piece of paper with numbers 1 to 36. I'm going to read out 36 statements, and they will appear on the screen, on the wall, so you'll be able to see them. And if you think that statement sounds like you, put a tick next to it. If you don't, leave it blank. If the whole thing sounds too horrendous and you don't want to take part, that is absolutely fine. But I would encourage you to give it a go, and if it's, you just can't be bothered with it or it drives you round the bend, don't worry. I'll give you more instructions as we go along. So, statement number one, I'm good at listening to other people. If that sounds like you, put a tick. If not, ignore it. The only right answer is the one that's honest for you. It's Don't copy the person next to you. <laughs> Number two, I enjoy explaining things from the Bible to other people. Number three, I love preaching or talking to a group about Jesus. Number four, I'm often used to bring others to Christ. Number five, I enjoy administrative work. Oops. Number six, I feel a deep love for people who are ill. Number seven, I'm handy at many things and adaptable. I think that's really old-fashioned language. We don't talk about people being handy anymore, but there you go. I'm handy at many things and adaptable. Number eight, I'm deeply concerned about the world and social affairs. Number nine, I am usually looked to for a lead. I'll just leave those there for a moment. Just anybody wants to... Anything, yeah. Just in general, if you think people look to you for a lead, then put a tick. If you don't, it doesn't matter what the context is, just as you understand the statement. Okay, can we move on? Is that all right? Number 10, I easily make helpful relationships with others. Should be on the second column now. Number 11, others are helped when I teach them things. 12, I love the study and work involved in preaching a sermon. 13, God has given me a longing to draw others to faith. 14, I can organize well, clearly, and efficiently, except when I'm choosing home numbers. Others find my presence soothing and or comforting. That's 15. 16, I like helping other people. 17, I am active in service in the community. And 18, in a group, I'm often asked to chair or lead. So again, just a moment if anybody needs to catch up there. Okay, third column. Number 19, 
I can encourage others and help with struggles. 20. I love to study and find out facts. 21. My sermons have blessed others. 22. My life is full of opportunities to witness for Christ. 23. I love doing office work and do it well. 24. I have prayed with sick people who have been helped. 25. I'm a practical type. 26. I'm aware of needs in society and feel called to help. 27. When leading something, I put in a lot of preparation. Oops. Let's go back so you've got those for a moment. Okay, last set coming up. You'll be relieved about that, won't you? 28, I really care about other people. 29, I have patience in helping others understand Christian things. 30, I feel a clear call to preach. 31, I love to talk to others about Jesus. 32, I'm painstaking about details in organization. 33, I spend time praying with and for sick people. 34, I spend time helping people in practical ways. 35, I feel God is at work in the world and I must work alongside. And 36, I'm good at delegating work to others in a team setting. The only right answers are the ones that are honest for you. doesn't matter if they're completely different from everybody else's. Okay, you should have a grid that looks, well, not the same as that, but be a mixture of ticks, and blanks. And what I would like you to do now, going along the lines horizontally to count up the number of ticks that you've got and write that in the last box next to the letters. And when you've done your adding up, see if you can find three that you've got the highest scores for. It's possible you might have four, you might have two, If you've got nine, you've cheated. It's a very rough and ready exercise, this. So you might have more than three. You you might have three. It doesn't matter. But most people will probably find there are are two or three that stand out. Just put a star by those because those most probably are your stronger gifts. You'll all be ready for your lunch, aren't you, after this? Okay. 
Of, of those who've been doing it, managed to, to find some that they think are their, their biggest scores. Let's see then what they are. This is according to this um, leaflet that I got. Gift A is pastoral care. Gift B is teaching. Gift C is preaching. D is evangelism. E is administration. One that always comes up when I do these quizzes. F is healing. G is practical service. H is mission, both in the community and in the world. And what's well, I on your sheet? I or J, the last one, is leadership. So you might like just to write down on the bottom where it says, this suggests my strongest gifts are the three that you had the highest scores for. It may be there are no surprises there. That's fine. It may be that there are surprises there. That's fine too. The three lines with the highest numbers ticks are the le- there's some letters that you got. There's probably got three with letters where you had the highest number next to them. Yeah, you can, you can write the letters there. And then that just suggests what the gifts are. As I say, this is very rough and ready. This is not scientific, so um, Stephen can uh, correct us on the scientific way of doing it. But it's just a rough and ready indicator. What we should find is that everybody has managed to identify something that is a gift. Yes? Nobody's got an empty sheet of paper with no ticks on, have they? Unless they chose not to take part. So we've all got some gifts that God have given us and they're not all the gifts we have these are just some of the gifts but of course the question is what do we then do with those gifts because the truth is that everyone at Hillhead does have talent and has choices in what they do with those gifts and talents we're going to hear now the rest of our Bible readings and then we will move into a time of reflecting on this theme. We continue with Paul's thoughts, this time from his epistle to the Romans. That's will be from chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. And again, if you have the Pew Bibles, that's page uh, 200. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, 
the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. And then continuing on in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I left off at verse 11. We'll pick up again from verse 12, reading through to 27. This is back on page 216. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a singular, single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect. Whereas our, our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. probably relieved to know there's not going to be a long sermon today that made you work so hard. In fact, it'd probably be a stretch to say it's a sermon at all. What actually I'd like to offer is some reflections that connect with the passages we've heard from the letters to Romans and to the church at Corinth, and to start to think about how we can use our talents, the gifts and skills and abilities we each have in God's service. Nothing I'm going to say is stuff that you won't have heard before, and it's not radical, but if we actually take it seriously, if we really said to God, take my talents, then the effect might be truly radical. The first thing we need to remind ourselves of, and it's there in scripture and it emerged in the work that we've done together this morning, is everybody, everybody 
has unique gifts given by God and that everybody's contribution is important, indeed essential, to the health of the church. We all need to be reminded of that because sometimes we all fall into the trap of thinking some people are more important and more valuable than others. And some of us think that we are more important and more valuable than others, when actually all are of equal worth in God's sight. The reality is, in different churches, there are different things that we value more highly. In some churches, it is the preacher. Churches that have a reputation of being a preaching centre, and the person who's on the pedestal is the minister. So I'm really glad I don't have any kind of pedestals to stand on here, because I'm just a regular kind of a girl, really. In some churches, it's the music. Could be the worship group, could be the choir, could be the organ. In some churches, it's the people who can pray and pray and pray for hours and hours off the top of their head. And in other churches, any or all of those people will be treated with disdain. There's no one church that gets it all right in in what we value and what we don't value. But there are a few pointers for us. Firstly, I want to say it again. Every person who is connected with this church has got gifts that are vital to the well-being of this church. Everyone. Everyone here. Secondly, there will be diversity in those gifts. And because somebody has a different gift, doesn't mean it is more or less important. Doris, with her cleaning, is every bit as important as Holy Mary with her praying or Flora with her flower arranging or Katrina, who doesn't get another name, with her speaking. Everybody's gift is important, but everybody's gift is different. And we need to accept the gifts that we've been given, not envying the gifts that other people have. When I first started out as a minister, we used to have an occasional preacher at my church who could do great jokey sermons, and everybody would be in gales of laughter. And I used to feel, I wish I could do it like that. And then I came to realize that that wasn't my calling or my gifting. My calling and my gifting is to be the kind of preacher that I'm made to be. And that's fine. We mustn't envy other people because they've got different gifts. And we mustn't look down on people whose gifts perhaps seem less glamorous. You know, it's easy to say, wow, wouldn't it be great to be the preacher or the pianist or whatever? Oh, but I don't want to do the cleaning But actually, the cleaning is just as important. So we've all got gifts, and they are all important. The second thing, which came through in those readings very clearly, is our gifts should be employed in God's service. It seems to me there are two different traps that Christians can fall into. And both of those traps hamper our ability to use our gifts in God's service. The first one of those is the so-called sacred-secular divide. And it's very easy. It's a trap that I've fallen into for for many years till I finally realized that it didn't make sense, actually, to say this part of my life is concerned with God and Christ and God's work, and this part isn't. This part is mine, and I will get on and do what I do here. 
And if we make that distinction, then that affects the way we behave actually in both places. I try not to rake up examples of what I think are people who, who it's easy to criticise. But I had somebody in my old church, who subsequently moved on, um, who liked a glass of wine. But when we went out to do anything in a pub, she wouldn't even have a glass of water because, quote, I'm on the Lord's business and I shouldn't be drinking when I'm on the Lord's business. And I struggled with that because actually she was always on the Lord's business. She was on the Lord's business as much when she was hovering her house or cooking her husband's tea or doing her paid employment as she was when she was in church on a Sunday It's a danger for all of us to make that distinction that this is how I behave and use my skills when I'm doing God's work explicitly, and this is how I use them when I'm doing it for myself. Actually, the gifts that God has given us, and everywhere we use them, we are using them, or should be using them, in God's service. The sacred-secular divide isn't helpful. So there are people who will feel guilty. They don't do whatever it is in church. But maybe you're doing it elsewhere and that is God's work for you. However, there is a second trap we can fall into just in that way. Have you ever heard people say in a church, well, what this church really ought to be doing, what God is calling this church to do is this. But God's not calling me to do it because God's called me to go and do something else. Or I know that God has given me the gift of teaching or helping or practical, but not to be used in church. Again, we need to remember the gifts and skills we have are for our whole lives. The the hymn which I've used as the kind of underlying thread for this series, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, today. So our talents, our gifts and our skills are to be employed in God's service wherever. And there are times when that means doing it out in the world. In fact, for most people, most of the time, it means doing it in in the ordinary world. It's only a few people who are called specifically and exclusively to use their gifts in the service of the church as the gathered congregation. We need to recognize the gifts and skills we have. And then we need to recognize that God has work for all of us to do, whether it's in the church, whether it's in charity work, whether it's in community, whether it's in the workplace and use those gifts and skills. You all found some. Are you using them? Or are you just leaving them in a cupboard to get dusty? Another reality is that every church congregation is unique. I said rather glibly about two congregations that I've worked with, one that was very educated and one that was very not educated. And they were each unique And they each had their part to play in God's work in their context. It wasn't that one was better than the other. They were different. 
I once heard a preacher say that every church already has all the skills and abilities it needs to do the work to which God is calling it. And that means, if he's right, and I think he probably is, here in Hillhead, we have all the people with all the skills and abilities we need, at least in some measure. We might not have fully developed them yet, we might not have discovered them even yet, but we will have, in some measure, the gifts and skills we need. When I did this exercise with my lovely little church in Hugglescote, two gifts came out as the most common. Most people saw themselves as having gifts in pastoral care and practical service, which was fantastic. Very few saw themselves as leaders or administrators. And yet they were there. Some of those gifts I had, and some of those gifts were latent in other people who just never crossed their mind that their ability to do the filing or whatever could be used in the church. I kind of hope that the exercise we've done this morning will help us all to recognize our gifts. And if you agree to do the response I'm asking a bit later, will help me to map the church and understand better just what our unique mix is. But what do you do when lots and lots of people think they have the same gifts and skills? You know, church can be a really frustrating place sometimes. You've got a fantastic skill or ability. You might be highly qualified in something. You might be a world expert in it. And then you come and join a church and find that there's people doing that already. So what do you do? It seems to me there are three responses. One which is very negative. You sit on the back row... And you look, and you mutter, and you mumble, because they're not doing it as well as you would do it. Or, you come alongside them and say, I'd really like to to work with you in this. I don't want to take over. I don't want to tell you how to do it. I'd just like to join in. And that takes great grace and great humility. If you're really good at something, to come alongside somebody else and work with them rather than take over not easy. Or here's another one. Maybe this isn't the time and place for us to exercise that skill. Maybe here our time is to learn a new skill or exercise a different one. There are actually people here I know who are teachers and are probably very relieved not to have to teach Sunday school as well. But there are people teaching Sunday school who do a fantastic job. So you know, we haven't necessarily got to use the obvious skills here. It may be a time to say, actually, somebody else is doing that. Another risk is that we think we're indispensable. Have you ever met the person who won't put something down? They've always done it, or they've done it for as long as anyone can remember, but they're not going to put it down because nobody else is going to do it quite right. And quite right means the way I do it. And I'm going to carry on doing it and I'm going to get tired and I'm going to get irritable and I'm going to complain that nobody ever helps me until I go pop. Do you know, none of us is indispensable. Not one of us. We're all important, but we're not indispensable. It's good sometimes to allow others to take things on and they might mess it up. That's okay, that happens. But most likely, they will do well. 
And there is nothing like seeing somebody else do something better than you can. In my Girls Brigade leader capacity, I've taught lots of little girls to skip. And I've also taken little girls roller skating and ice skating. I'm rubbish at roller skating and ice skating, but I can just about get round. And many times I've taken a little girl by the hand who's been terrified, and we've kind of wobbled round together for a couple of times, and then she's off. And she's doing things I could never do. And you know, that is fantastic. For me, that is success. Somebody has discovered what she can do and enjoys doing it. And I think that's a challenge for all of us. I think we need to recognize that sometimes it's good to take a break. We might have done something for a long, long time, but that Sabbath principle that is there in the Bible is there for a good reason. And some churches have six-year rules that say you do a job for a maximum of six years and then you have to have a break. Ministers are expected to take a break in their seventh year. Not quite going to manage that one for good reasons, but it's a good principle that now and then we take some time out and let somebody else do things. It's healthy. It helps us all to grow and to learn. It seems to me that as a church, we are at an exciting place in our life together. Well, I'm excited anyway. I'm really thrilled to be here. I'm a bit terrified about this afternoon's church meeting, but I'm sure it'll be fine. But it's a time when we're looking to the future and wondering what amazing, exciting thing that's going to be. What I know is here today in this room are people whose gifts and skills we need to bring that vision to reality. And some of you will have gifts that you know well already and you've polished them up. You're really good at that thing and that's fantastic. There'll be other people whose gifts are just there in embryo and need to be tested out and tried and that is exciting And most likely, there are some of us who still have gifts to discover. And that's a mystery, but a great one. So what is it that we need to think about today? There's a lot there. I haven't talked at great length, but I've talked for far too long anyway. Doesn't make sense, does it? But you know what I mean. What is it we need to think about as we offer our gifts and our talents to God? You wrote some down on that that list, most of you. And just look at them for a moment and think, what is it I can do with this? What can I offer to God of my gifts and my skills? To your purposes in this church at this time. One of the gifts that God gives us is the gift of prayer. And I know, because I'm as bad as anybody, that we often feel it is difficult. We worry about getting it right. We worry about the words. We worry about the content. But we also know that it's important and that we should do it. And I guess we're a little bit like Jesus' earliest followers, who actually needed to come to him and say, well, can you tell us how to do it? So for our intercessions today, I'm using the model that Jesus gave as a frame for our prayers. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Mother in God, all-sufficient and loving parent, 
we still ourselves in your presence, awed by the mystery of who you are. Your very name is holy, and it is in humility that we approach you. We pray for the incoming of your kingdom, a process already begun 2,000 years ago when Jesus walked this earth, showing those who would see and telling those who would hear how to spot the signs. We pray for justice for all people, recognising that freedom carries responsibility, that diversity embraces different understandings of integrity and morality. Teach us to see with your eyes and love with your heart. We pray for the exercise of your will. Yet, if we're honest, we cannot always be sure we know what that means. We pray that you will enable us to be truly open to hearing your voice, to reading the signs of your activity, rather than simply reading in our own desires. We pray that we may not be hearers only, but that we will act in accordance with our discerning. Even in this land of plenty, we pray for the ongoing provision of our needs, shelter, clothing and food. All too easily we forget those who today will go hungry, who will huddle together in forlorn attempts to keep warm because they have inadequate clothes or shelter. We pray for all organisations who seek to alleviate poverty and its effects, calling to mind especially the Glasgow Rent Deposit Scheme, Emmaus, Elpis, and Church Action on Poverty. Forgive us, Lord, our trespasses, our debts, our sins. Forgive us, because despite our best efforts, we fail to be all that we would wish to be. But, taking our courage in both hands, we pray that you would forgive us only insofar as we forgive others. Give to us gentle, compassionate hearts and the determination to choose to forgive those who hurt, offend, owe or trespass against us. Help us to avoid temptation. The temptation to think we are more righteous than we are, and the temptation to think we are more unrighteous than we are. The temptation to do wrong, and the temptation to avoid doing right. Deliver us from the evils of smugness, self-righteousness and self-satisfaction and also from the evils of self-deprecation, self-loathing and insecurity. And in all of this, we pray because it is, a, is all about you. It is your kingdom we seek, your power we invoke and your glory that we are awed by. This day and every day for all eternity. Amen.